From the Asset Builder headquarters in Dallas, Texas, welcome to Keep It Simple, a show that discusses simple techniques and philosophies to help de-stressify investors around the world. I'm your host, Jared Herzog, and welcome to the show. Today, we're learning from our esteemed veteran registered investment advisor, Adam Morse, and our human economic database and fearless CIO, Michael French. Today, we're talking about the 4% rule. We had a great conversation. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Here's the show. So today, we're going to talk about the 4% rule. Um, Michael, do you know anything about this uh, so-called 4% rule? I do. Pretty familiar with it. Um, it is uh, something that, that people have used is when they retire, kind of a rule of thumb, how much money can I take out of my portfolio? 4%. It's, and it's simplest. That's what it is. It's a withdrawal strategy that tries to really simplify what you can take out when you retire. So, Michael, where did the 4% rule come from? What study did it come from? So, there was a guy named William Benjamin, and uh, he articulated this theory that if you withdrew 4% of your portfolio, you would be uh, able to take that money out as a rule of thumb um, from, your with, from your retirement savings. And I, that was in the mid-90s. I don't know the exact year. Um, and it, and it became the, called the Benjamin Rule. And then later there was uh, a Trinity study, something called the Trinity study that updated it. And it, it basically was just popularized. Uh, it became this theory that said, well, there are different things that might affect this. But if you took out 4% adjusted for inflation, you would be okay. Okay, being defined as at the end of your life, you would have a balance left. So just to clarify, to make that real simple, if you retire at 65, you have a million dollars. What this study is saying is if you take $40,000 in the first year, Mm -hmm. which is 4% of the million, you take $40,000 and then you continue to take that $40,000 each year. Adjusted for inflation. Adjusted for inflation. So year one, it might be 40,000. Year two, it might be 40,500, yada, yada, yada. But that's what the study is saying. You you take whatever 4% is on day one and then continue to take that amount adjusted for inflation each year moving forward. Right. So if if your balance goes up, if your balance goes down, there's there's no thought or around oh well let's take out less this year or more this year it's if last year i took out 40 what's inflation 1 plus inflation times 40 gives me what i can take out this year and that should last you and that should last you until the day you die or if you're married until the day you and your spouse dies and i think he went i think he actually had a certain number of years i don't know if it was 25 or 30 years but he actually said basically like hey this would last you through the you know, through this period of time and uh, based on the number, you know, based on when you started taking the money out, whether it's January, February, March, April, they did a number of studies and they, and they said, so if you took it out on this date, you'd be okay. If you took it out on this date, you'd be okay. And then, oh, here's a, here's a month where if you started in this month, you would not have been okay. And they just did the study and they found out that most of the time you would be okay. Right. So you take out 4% each year for... 30 something years or whatever and sure. you should be and you should be okay and by okay we just mean that when uh, theoretically on the day i die there's something left or when the day if i'm married the last one of us to die um so say my wife kills me and then she lives another 20 how years. would she kill you if she was going to <laughs> you know what she should do this is a true story 
true story. <laughs> Not relevant, but but true. Okay. Uh, long time ago, I had a couple of good friends, and they knew me well. And this is what your wife could do, hypothetically, should she want to end you. Sarah, listen. <laughs> they took an Oreo, a, a full packet of Oreos, like a box of Oreos, right? And it has the peel back top on it where you can just kind of yeah. pull it back and reach in and grab one out of the sleeve. Yeah. They didn't offer me an Oreo. They didn't ask if I wanted one. They just knew that I would see the Oreos and help myself. And they made the first three in the sleeve. They had taken out the icing and replaced it with toothpaste. <laughs> and it was... Not that it's that gross, but it's just one of those moments Surprise where you, yeah, you're not expecting toothpaste. Yep. And yep. so when you get toothpaste, she should do the same thing. Just take it out the work. take out the filling of the Oreo. It would work. Put in a little, you know, arsenic paste. Yep. You're done. I would be done. Yeah. And, and then she'd have to figure out does the four percent rule work for her. Yeah. And I think that's why she wouldn't kill me, because I'm able to help her understand the pitfalls of the four percent rule. But now she has this episode, so She'll be fine. I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> so just get, get back to the question at hand. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> 10 minutes later. Um, let, let's define real quick what Michael said, which is you'll be okay if you take 4% most of the time. Okay. Are, you're referring to the Trinity studies, correct? Yeah. Okay. So I believe the actual math came out to, I want to say it was 80, and correct me if I'm wrong, 85% of the time. Yep. So if you did, like, let's say you could live 100 lives. If yeah. you lived 100 lives and you took 4% in retirement, right? Yeah. 85 of those times, your money would last 30 years. And, yeah. And I don't remember exactly what the math is, but it's something like that. If yeah. I were to, it, so, and I think it's, it's those 100 lives are spread out over periods of time. So mm -hmm. what if I retire mm -hmm. in November versus right. December versus January versus, and so if I, if I go sequentially, there are times when I'm okay in times when I'm not. And so people say, well, does this always work? Or people ask that question. Well, right. doesn't this work? So for the past, let's say for the past, let's say you retired five years ago and you took your money and you had a 50-50 portfolio, 50% equity, 50 per, and, and by equity, let's say S&P 500, you, all U.S., 50% uh, um, treasuries, Okay. Maybe maybe some sort of inflation protected treasuries because you were thinking about inflation in retirement. Well, then the question would you be okay is answered almost exclusively by what do the first 5 years look like. Mm -hmm. So, if you had retired 5 years ago, the answer now 5 years in is yeah, you're probably going to be okay. Yeah. Uh why? Because as you were taking 5% out half of your portfolio, the 50% that was in equities, was earning well in excess of what the historical average has been for the S&P 500. Right. So if you're earning 14% a year and you're taking out four, well, if that was all that was ever going to happen, you would be fine. Right. The problem that you run into is now we're at an all-time high for the S&P. And if you retire now, we don't have a time machine to go five years into the future and say, hey, would you be okay? So as we look back, we have to say, well, what if there was a market correction that I think most people agree is entirely possible? Right. What would the purchasing power of my money be five years from now? So Adam, Adam referred to this in one of our other podcasts a couple of weeks ago. Um, what you're really having to do then is let's say that there's a 10% reduction and I have to sell something 
to provide income for myself. Right. Well, that share that I had that used to be worth $100 is now worth 90 So instead of selling one share to get my $100, I now have to sell one share. I get 90 but I still need 100 so I have to sell part of another share. Right. So now what I'm finding is that 10% reduction is costing me a lot. So instead of getting to take out 4%, uh, it's going to take a bigger part of my portfolio to get that income that I need. Right. And that's the danger of the 4% rule. Uh, in math terms, it's, or in finance, it's called the sequence of returns risk. And this is where, you know, when, I, when I'm listening to you talk, yep. what I'm hearing is uncontrolled variables, right? right? A lot yep. of things, a lot of questions that, well, if this happens and if that happens and if this happens, then you'll be okay. Right. And so this is where some of that, you know, um, this is one of those topics in finance that uh, if you have a certain viewpoint, you can Google an article that will support your viewpoint. Right. Right. Because there is so much gray area, right? If someone says, is the 4% rule safe? Well, Depends on 85% of the time, right? Yep. So it, would you get on an airplane? That's the classic kind of counter, <laughs> yeah, right? That's what everybody always asks. Yeah, like yeah. If, if you knew this airplane had an 85% chance of getting to its destination, and that's not a one-to-one analogy, but right. you kind of get the idea. Would you define that as safe? Maybe some would, right? If you go skydiving on the weekends, you'd yep. probably say, yeah, that's safe. <laughs> Right, but if I travel with a parachute, but well, if, I would but say if, if you drive ten miles under anyway. the speed limit, well, eighty-five yeah. percent is probably not good enough for you. So a lot of this has to do with, um, but I would say it depends on the alternatives. Right like, what is the percentages for other avenues? You know what I mean? Well, and I think so. One other thing is that there's this limitation that we say that we place on spending when we do this. We say, well, my spending would be linear, and it would just the only thing that would affect it is inflation. And that's what a spending pattern should look like. And we know that that's just not true. We know that <clears throat> when you retire and you're younger, people kind of enter retirement with different motivations. Some people want to travel a lot. And so what we know is that in the first decade of retirement, a 60-year-old who wants to travel travels a lot. In the second decade, they travel significantly less. And in the third decade of retirement, they would travel very little. So right. what does their spending look like? And so we refer to it as go-go, slow-go, no-go. It's common industry terms that if you divided your retirement into three sections, you're going to spend more at the beginning, spend less in the middle, spend very little at the end on things that you enjoy doing. Now that's for somebody who wants to travel, but let's say that your, your kind of hobbies, the fills that you get are around town or close to home. I enjoy gardening. I enjoy going to theater. I enjoy, we just enjoy eating out. Then those expenses are going to be lower initially, but they're going to stay consistent throughout retirement. This also, a 4% rule, doesn't really account for the fact that at the end of my life, I can run into some significant custodial care costs, long-term care, home health care. Um, I can have unexpected repairs to homes. I'm going to need to replace durable goods once in a 30-year period time of time. I'm going to need a new car. I'm going to need a new washer and dryer. My AC is going to break. All of these things, if you just say, well, I'm going to just live by 4%, that's really not going to be the case. And so um, it, as a rule of thumb, it's something that people can start with, but it falls apart in the real world just because expenses aren't coming at you in this consistent, predictable, never-changing manner. But isn't that true no matter what you do? I mean, there's going to be variables no matter what 
you do. Absolutely. Yeah. So when we think about uh, when we think about expenses into the future, for instance, we know that you're always going to need to eat as long as you are alive. And we know that food has a predictable pattern of consumption and a predictable pattern of change in prices, inflation. So we can kind of model that out. We know that you're always going to have a place to live. And so what is it going to cost you to live in this place? And people will say, well, I've already paid off my house, so it's going to cost me zero. Right. You solve property taxes, depending on what state you live in, the rules are going to be different. You solve maintenance, you still have utilities. There's a lot of costs associated with a house. And, and what people sometimes are surprised to find out is that 42% of the average budget for a retiree is still housing costs. So as I age, these things are all predictable and they're necessary. Right. What's really key. And so if you said, well, does the 4% rule cover those things? Sure, probably. And if you want to live and do nothing but essential things for the rest of your life, and then you might be okay. But there are unknown things that when they happen, they will be essential such as I have to replace an air conditioner. I have to buy a new car. And so those are the things that you say, okay, that's when it begins to fall apart. So do I have enough money set aside now to pay for retirement and then for known unknowns, let's say. Things that I know are going to happen, but I don't know when. Do I have enough money set aside? And is it, is it in the appropriate investment vehicle so that it would be liquid when I needed it? In other words, it can't be you know, something that matures 20 years from now if I might need it in three years because it just doesn't work. The math doesn't work. And so there's, there's, some, there's some responsibility that financial advisors have to help people create a framework where they think through these different categories of expenses and then develop an investment methodology that's appropriate for each one of those categories. Yeah, I, I think... Um and I mentioned this in, in, in a, another episode a little bit back, and it's something that I harp on all the time because in this industry, what typically happens, and I think what people hear from this industry a lot is you hear from one company or one individual and they kind of have a corner, right? Mm-hmm. And so they right. they stake their entire reputation on right. one style or one thing. Yep. So maybe this guy's the 4% guy and he's going to champion that over everything in every case. Or maybe you have the annuity guy and he's going to champion that. Right. Or maybe you have the life insurance gal and she's going to, mm-hmm. you know, whatever yeah. the case is. Uh-huh. And what I'm going to keep harping on is, look, of course, I have my core fundamental beliefs and approaches to investing. Right. And, and that lends itself to certain types of, of vehicles and such. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of things out there you can do. Right. And they're there for a reason. Right. We live in an open right. market, theoretically. And so this open market has resulted in people creating things that are there's valuable. demand for and right. are valuable. And so. The key for us is not to say good or bad. It's to say, well, it's more, and, and so much of this we've lost today in, in, in how we have public dialogue, but where's the nuance? Right. So it's finding um, the 4% rule could be absolutely right for, for John, for Jill, not so much, right? Because they don't live the same life. They don't right. have the same structure. So I'll boil it down to just something real simple. The 4% rule um, is very good at, at, at telling you where you are in space and time relative to being healthy financially. So if you just kind of take 4% and say, well, that doesn't even get me to half of my expenses, it's a real quick way to just diagnose, okay, we got to make some big changes, right? right. Either I got to 
work Scale longer, work save longer. more, yep. reduce expenses, something. If it gets you twice, you know, if 4%, whatever that math is, if that gets you twice your expenses, it's mm-hmm. a real quick way to diagnose. I'm a, I'm probably okay. I don't need to reinvent the wheel here. It doesn't right. mean you don't need to attend to the details and be smart. It just is a quick kind of napkin math that says we're okay. Um, but w- I guess the question could be, how would you delineate between the 4% rule being good for somebody and bad for somebody? Right. Right. Yes. So um, my granddad, he worked at the post office for, he was in the military for 10 years and then worked in the post office for 45 years, right? Woke up at 3 a.m. for 45 years and that's early grinded, right? Retired on a pension. And so he structured his life such that it was very predictable from an expense perspective, right? He had this fixed income. He didn't have a a 401k. He didn't have this changing account balances. He had a pension and he knew what it was going to be. So he structured his life accordingly, right? If you don't have that structure, let's say that you spend a thousand dollars a month, but let's say 600 of that is on absolutely unessential items. You just like to do it. Right then maybe the 4% rule is just fine for you because if, let's say to Michael's point, if a correction does happen, well, you can very easily eliminate 60% of your expenses and still be, you know, living, covering the the essential needs without panicking. So maybe, maybe you're not going to, you know, the rave. Yeah. Whatever the case is, whatever you like to do. Well, yeah, whatever Michael does in his free time, you know, go to first cafeteria, all you can eat. (laughs) Exactly. So, it's 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 so much about just taking each case as it is and taking right. each person and taking each scenario as it is and just diagnosing what works for this person. Some people can take more variability. Some yep. people can't. And some of that is just a personality thing. Some of that is according to their circumstances, financially or otherwise. So it's just really important to make sure, you know, if you're a person out there researching this type of stuff, whether it's the 4% rule or an annuity or whatever, there's a lot of different ways to retire and to create income in retirement. It's all about um, doing that research and applying it appropriately and being honest about what your scenario is, right? Yeah. And making sure that the source, exactly. the sources of the information you're getting aren't just saying what they're saying because they're incentivized to, right. or aren't just saying right. what they're saying because, you know, they have a blog that has a hundred thousand followers and they've staked their reputation on, yep. you know, annuities are bad or annuities right. are good, whatever the case is. So, um, I just really always want to stress that, right? Because right. we're not here saying 4% rule good or bad. It's more about as a public service announcement, Hey, here are the pros, here are the cons, right? Yeah. You know, know that going forward so that as you apply it, yep. you, you miss the big pitfalls, right? that kind of make sense yeah absolutely you're saying rules of thumb aren't really real i mean you can't i mean it all applies to the individual i mean there's no like universal advice for anybody when it comes to retirement correct yeah but you almost want to you're like oh and here's an easy answer four percent rule i don't have to think about it right and and like i said it's really good at just as an approximation where am i am i horribly unhealthy and unprepared when it comes to retirement or am I way better off than I need to be? And those are important questions to ask. It's just the difference between saying, um, this is where I need Michael. Your analogies are always so on point. But it, it's it's okay to use a blunt instrument as long as I know it's a blunt instrument. Yeah, right? as long as I know that it's, it, I can use a hammer if I know it's a nail, but, yeah. but you don't. Exactly. Yeah. You don't always know what, it, what exactly yeah. the problem is. I think is. If, you took, if you took two real people and you said one person has long-term care insurance, so the end of their life, this custodial issue has been addressed. If, if I need care, it will be taken care of. And another person does not. Well, 
at the end of those two people's lives, if they both need custodial care, if you're an advisor who hasn't helped that one person who doesn't have long-term care figure out that they need to have either housing wealth or some other basket that they can turn to to pay for the custodial care at the end of their life, then you really haven't acted in their best interest. Mm -hmm. You've helped them you know, maybe enjoy a lot of really great vacations and do a really, you know, maybe they've funded college educations for grandkids and they've helped kids buy homes, but that you haven't actually taken care of that client's real needs. And so that's, uh, you know, to, to, to Adam's point, there's not a yes or no that you can put out, especially on something like this where it's a podcast and you're going to have, you know, a hundred people think, oh, they said do this. No, we're, what what we're saying is you are probably an individual. You should probably make individual choices that are appropriate for you as an individual. Anything else you guys want to add on to the 4% rule that, that people might ask you typically or just something they should think about? I was going to say the other thing, we talk about this a lot, is tax location. When people say, can I take out 4%? Well, 4% taken out of a, a taxable account is going to create a different, if you have $100,000 and you take out 4,000 right. and it's taxed at 15%, you end up with a different amount of money you can spend than if you have a $100,000 IRA and you're going to take it out and then you're going to pay uh, income tax on that, which is probably going to be higher than uh, 15% personal income tax rate. So, so it, it's, again, there's a lot that you have to dissect before you just say, is 4% okay? And so I think when people, you know, when, pe- when people blog, when people write, when people have opinions, sure, you know, you can do the math and you can say statistically this would be okay. There's a lot of information that is missing when you make those generalizations. Right. Yeah, I, I think, you know, as you asked that, there were two things that popped into my mind um, that we kind of discuss frequently. Um, one is... The, the, the study that kind of originated the 4% rule um, was based on a moderate portfolio, right? A well-diversified portfolio. I think it was 60-40. Yeah. So it's really important to understand this doesn't apply equally to any investment ever, right? So right. if you have a million-dollar portfolio of, you know, Amazon stock, mm-hmm. well, that's probably yeah. not going to be appropriate for the 4% rule. You need to understand what that what the implication is of that. So understanding one, hypothetically, if you're gonna gonna implement the 4% rule, make sure that you're putting the work in either on your own or paying somebody, whatever the case is, make sure you're doing the due diligence upfront on how you're structuring the portfolio so that it is conducive to sustaining a 4% rule, right? Not too yep. much risk, yep. but enough enough inertia to hopefully sustain that, that rate of withdrawal. Um, so that's the first thing. And then the second thing that I would mention too is there's something incumbent with the 4% rule that oftentimes is underappreciated and and can become the massive thorn in your side, which is there's a certain level of self-discipline required. Right, Um, right. There's no gatekeeper on your money. Even if you have an advisor, I can't tell my clients no. Right. Right. I can advise them and I can give them all all the information in the world that tells them, hey, these are the different ways in which it might be a bad idea to take more money, yeah. but it's their money. Right. And if you don't work with an advisor, if you're self-managing, absolutely, there's no gatekeeper on the, those funds. So it's really easy, to Michael's point, 
one of those expenses pops up you weren't prepared about. So maybe yeah. you go from 4% to 45 or 5 or 5.5% in a given year. Mm-hmm. And as human beings, I know from, from personal experience, right, I'm as susceptible as anybody is saying, well, I'll just cut it back next year right. to make up for it. Well, next year, Has I don't expense. want to take the haircut this year. I'll yep. put it off next year. But then the amount of haircut you have to take the next year grows. And now we're in this cycle of we're not actually sticking to the 4%, right? Yep. And, and, and we could go back and forth. Is it 4%? Is it 4.4? Is it 2.8? Yeah. Whatever your rate is, if you're going to use a steady withdrawal rate strategy, that level of discipline is really, really important because the math is making assumptions. And one of those assumptions is it's a steady rate of withdrawal. So don't fall victim to that that kind of temptation, I would say, to you know dip in when it's convenient and say, well, I'll make up for it later, right? Yeah. Because later oftentimes never comes and then either you in late in life or your estate or your loved ones yep. have to show up in, in, in big ways that can be really inconvenient and, and uncaring so all right do you guys have anything else to add to the four percent rule that people should know i'm good i'm good too i think we covered it in generality yeah if you have specific questions give us a call cool all right thank you guys you guys have a good week we'll see you in a couple weeks we'll be back looking forward to it This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not to be construed as an offer, solicitation, recommendation, or endorsement of any particular security, product, or service. For more information, visit assetbuilder.com.